Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. I'm your host, Mark Smith. And my name is Andrew Arthur. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is Season 1, Episode 7. My name is Mark. And I'm Andrew. And uh, yeah, we are excited for today because today we are going to be exploring and uh, starting a new segment called Ask Almost Anything. Ask Almost Anything. Andrew, tell them real quick what it is. Uh, it's just we filled questions as people send, submit questions about things they're curious about, whether it be things we've been talking about up to this point or things that they've just been wrestling with as it relates to how the gospel applies to certain areas of their lives and, and uh, things that they're working out theologically and practically in their own lives. Um, they can submit questions uh, via, uh, by emailing them to gospelclarity at org, and we will fill those, receive those, compile those, and uh, address those in episodes like this. Yep, yep. One of the things that we want to do in this podcast is, as you can tell, it's a bit more conversational. Andrew and I are talking, have a conversation, and um, working through this, these various themes through Gospel Clarity, and we want you to be a part of it. So if you have any questions, please feel free to email us, and I'll say it again, it's at gospelclarity at org. So we've got two questions today. Um, Andrew, are you ready for these questions? Yeah, we can take them. Okay. Well, uh, we, we can ask them. Yeah, we can, we can ponder, we can dialogue, and, um, yeah. we can try to the best of our ability. But this is what we're going to do. Okay, question number one. This one is a... this. Uh, we're going to start things off uh, difficult, and then we'll get easier from there, okay? I thought, I thought it should be the other way around. Don't you have to warm up? Right, we do. We do need to warm up, but I thought, what better way to get our minds rolling by asking the hard questions first? It's just like a homework assignment. You know, you got to tackle the hard project first, and then everything else is easier. So this, Where, where'd you learn to do homework? <laughs> this... Uh, this first question, what is the best sandwich that you could find in the Fremont area? What is the best sandwich that you could find in, in the, the Fremont, Fremont area? <clears throat> so, yeah. So when it comes to sandwiches in Fremont, there are two, two places. Okay. You so have... we've narrowed it down to two places already. This is good. Okay. Yes. Okay. You have first Royal Grinders which is a grinder-style toasted sub Mm -hmm. that the bread's uh, a bit crunchy, and the toppings range from everything from an Italian style to um, like a chicken pesto to uh, regular like roast beef turkey club type stuff. Mm -hmm. And they have their special sauce that they put on it. Uh, And then, um, yeah, it's a good sandwich. My friend Wes Moore, who used to be with our church and Helped us get started. He loved Royal Grinders. That was his pick. And I, I can see why he was drawn yeah. to it. If you are if you like a hot sandwich, Royal Grinders is going to be your best bet. I mean, because it's toasted, it's warm, um, it's good stuff. It's really good on a cold day, cold rainy days. Royal Grinders is going to be your best bet. And the second option would be a place called Paseo. Uh, Paseo is a Cuban sandwich joint, 
And personally, Paseo is my favorite one in the Fremont neighborhood. It's uh, just, but the problem with it, uh, some some people uh, prefer Royal Grinders because Royal Grinders is a cleaner sandwich. It's a cleaner experience. <laughs> uh, Paseo, you got to be ready to get your hands dirty. Uh, you got to wear a bib because they're, they're all juicy in. sandwiches that uh, are just incredible. They have these yeah. sautéed onions that they put on their sandwiches that are cut in these long, or uh, these wide wedges, and and uh, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, and it Tender really pork. You've got to bring your whole self to Paseo because these sandwiches are big. Yeah. They are they're big sandwiches. They're messy. They're delicious. Yeah, and, and they're Cuban style, so it's a lot of pork, and uh, uh, there's some ham mixed in there if you'd like. Uh, they have they have a they have a garlic shrimp sandwich that a is really sandwich. good. Okay, as well. But again, I haven't had like, that one. It's it's sloppy, um, but it's tasty. Yeah. Okay. So, but that you know, Andrew, I've got to bring him back because the question was, what is the best. And right now we have two. So of the two, you pick Paseo? My favorite is Paseo. And but I probably eat Royal Grinders more often because, again, it's a cleaner experience and a great sandwich. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know what? Since we have two hosts here, I'm going to say if I had to choose between the two, I would choose Royal Grinders. I can respect And that. you can say you choose Paseo. Mm-hmm. And then that's just like our loophole. We can both have... Yeah. Different favorite sandwiches. Yin and yang. Yeah. Also, if you Speaking are which, a, uh, a if you yang sauce at Royal Grinders, this that's really good. It's it's their special sauce mixed with some other some other stuff that they have behind the counter, and it's called the yin yang sauce. But you have to ask for it specifically, okay? Um, because you're not. I don't think they have any signs pointing to it or talking about it. But it's something that it's like a or at least for a while it was a hidden secret. Okay. Nice. Or um, a, an open secret. Yeah. Also, another thing, if there are any, uh, if any of you listeners are owners and or managers of Royal Grinders and Paseo, we would love to sample your sandwiches more and have uh, greater clarity on uh, on those sandwiches. So, anyway, <laughs> way to work clarity into that. <laughs> Just I was almost I'm working made a terrible it. joke. I, I refrained. <laughs> okay. All right, so that's answered. That is our question number one. Question number two comes from one of our listeners. Wait, was that the hard question? No. But you said it was. <laughs> I said it was. I'm trying to throw you off. Food questions are always, yeah, I love food questions. Good. Well, hey, guys, you heard him. If you have a question for Andrew about food, this is the place you can ask. Um, okay, question number two. What can we take from women's role in the Old Testament? We see such sorrow that women experience in the Old Testament, but also we see God lifting women to great heights that society didn't. How can we look at these dual aspects of life that take something from it and take something from it in our current context for men and women? So that's a great question, a deeper question for sure, and kind of I think has some multiple levels to it, right? Some some different areas we could dive into. But taking your initial thoughts, Andrew, what are some initial uh, thoughts you have to it? Initial thoughts. Um, 
Yeah, I would say uh, I, I would affirm uh, the question in the sense that they they're rightly recognizing that the Bible lifts women to extraordinary places that uh, the surrounding the, the context in which the Bible was written uh, did not do, and so the, in many ways the Bible is a takes a radical approach to women's roles in society and women's roles amongst God's people uh, in the Old Testament. And that might surprise listeners because sometimes the Bible is read and interpreted as being an oppressive book uh, to women, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually the exact opposite. The Bible is very liberating uh, of women. And I mean, you consider the reality that there are two books in the Old Testament named after women uh, that tell two women's stories and they showcase and they are to women whom God uses to advance his redemptive agenda in the world in remarkable ways. And you're not going to find an equivalent to that coming out of that same era of antiquity. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible's very um, counter... I mean, there are some things that the Bible reflects the culture in which it was written and the context in which it was written. But there are a lot of ways in which the Bible... Um, uh, counters or contradicts the culture that surrounds it in which it was written. Yeah. And I would also, uh, I would maybe add to that, that when we look at the role of women in the Old Testament, it's best, I think, to go back to the beginning, Genesis, to see the um, how women being made in the image of God and what the effects of the fall were and how this story of redemption is not just plain to women, but to all humanity. God is really bringing about his redemptive story through everyone in different ways. So like the book of Ruth, I mean, a perfect example of that, um, kind of what you mentioned earlier, and um, kind of thinking about those two women who have books kind of named after them, Esther as well. She's equally used by God, but in almost a kind of a completely different way, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to look at their circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, I see that the the role that women take is definitely absolutely elevated and I think maybe perhaps countercultural to the time at which the Bible was written. Sure. And you have, <clears throat> so one of the, the very, the, when you consider in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the first promise, when God promised to send the Messiah, to send the Savior into the world, to make everything right, uh, that was a promise made to a woman. It was made to uh, Eve. And as, as, as the word says, that the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, that he would be victorious over, over Satan. And, but that's just a little hint of the way in which women are going to fill a very special role in the timeline of redemptive history, starting with Eve, moving to Sarah, who was married to Abraham, who would also be blessed by God with a supernatural birth to, or a miraculous birth to give, uh, to see their son Isaac, Isaac yeah. come into the world, who would be the child of promise, who would carry on that Genesis three fifteen promise mm-hmm. on into uh, the next generation, and so on and so forth. And so, from the very beginning, God has had. Um, ordained for women to fill a very, very significant and sacred role in redemptive history. Yeah. Then when you think about um, the other aspect of that that question of this dual emphasis between sorrow and uh, being lifted high or being um, 
being brought really, really low and then being brought really, really high all within the same kind of story of these individual women in the in the Old Testament stories like Rahab and Esther who experienced suffering, who witnessed hard things, and yet God brought them through that. And then at the end of their story, they were put in a prime position to uh, bless others and to serve the purposes of God in the world. And in many ways, what you find there is the whole the story of human existence. Um, that is the story of our existence, uh, one of sorrow that leads to joy, one of sorrow that leads to triumph. Um, that is... Uh, so that what you see in women suffering in the Old Testament is um, to be is the type of thing that happens in a fallen world, and that is something that human beings can relate to because that's part of the human experience in this world. That everyone suffers, everyone experiences sorrow. The fallout of sin affects everyone in in terrible and tragic ways. But what you find with God working in and through women to lift them up in a context in which the surrounding society and surrounding culture uh, did not actively and, and progressively seek to lift women up to heights or to help them move, grow beyond their sufferings and their sorrows and experience good in life and in this world, you have a God who is doing that for women in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And it's, it's a picture and a story of God's grace and how God, um, God's grace is not bound to cultural biases or cultural practices that are not um, moving in a redemptive direction. And so God's grace in the story of women moving from sorrow to joy, from being brought low to being brought high, that's the story of, of human existence as it is found to be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how you um, tied in the, how you tied in grace into that. And now each of us will go through sorrow and great joys, but grace being a constant um, in the gospel is I think what we can see through the picture through the all of the Old Testament clearly into the New Testament and in our lives today as we are still living out God's plan and God's mm-hmm. um, redemptive history still unfolding. Yeah, think about that in, in just the story of Sarah, for example. Sarah was ma- married to Abraham. Abraham was called by God to. Um, establish his covenant, or God established a covenantal relationship with Abraham, and he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all the peoples, all the nations in the world. And that promise depended upon the seed that would come from Abraham and the line and the lineage of Abraham. But the problem was Abraham and Sarah were unable to have kids because Sarah, when we first meet her in Genesis, is described as being barren. And to be barren in the Old Testament, that represented... Uh, in a very, uh, in it, it was it was representative of the curse of sin in the world, mm. and so you have this womb of a woman that was never able to um, host a child, and yet God made this promise to them, and Abraham's married to a woman who can't who can't live up to that calling, and. Not only did he receive this promise from God, or did Abraham and Sarah receive this calling and promise from the Lord, they had to wait a long time 
before that promise was realized and it was brought to fulfillment. But when it was brought to fulfillment, uh, Abraham and Sarah were not only had she been barren her whole life, but she would also was probably in her mid nineties mm-hmm. when that promise was fulfilled. And you think about grace in that. You think about that. That's a beautiful picture of God's grace coming to people uh, to care for them and to do for them what they could not do for themselves. You have this elderly woman who's been barren all of her life. Now she's suddenly giving birth to a child. Essentially, in Sarah's story, God brings birth from death or brings life from death. And that's the story of salvation. That's the story of grace that we all uh, experience as a result of Jesus. Like we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, We are separated from God. We are lifeless without Christ, and yet God in His grace brings life out of us, even though, in a sense, we're all spiritually barren, um, that our wombs are empty, and we don't have life within us, and yet Jesus comes and and He does that for us, and it's all by His grace. And so Sarah experienced something that she could not execute on her own. In salvation, we experience something that we cannot execute on our own, meaning we cannot save ourselves, and yet, but God in His grace can and He does save us. And so Sarah's story just illustrates that in a remarkable way. Um, And there's a lot more that could be said about that topic. Absolutely. I'm tempted to go another minute if that's all right. Yeah. Um, Because not only do you see, uh, just speaking back to the way the Bible really elevates women in ways that the the context in which the Bible was written typically did not. Uh, You see a great example of this in the New Testament. I just want to point this out because I think it's fascinating. But in the New Testament, uh, the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were... Women. Women. And the reason why um, that's significant is because women's witness uh, in a law court was not accepted Uh, women were not viewed as credible witnesses in the first century. And yet God saw fit in his plan of redemption to authorize the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus to women whom society had written off, and yet now they're the ones bearing witness to Christ first. Wow, I didn't know that, actually. elevating women in a remarkable way in how that story unfolds. Well, thank you, Andrew, for... uh answering and thank you uh listener for submitting that question we really appreciate it and again if you have any questions that you would like to ask us please email gospelclarity at hallowschurch.org thank you and we will see you we'll talk to you hear from you listen to you next week